Hey everyone, I'm Andrea Ferretti, and this is episode 96 of Yoga Land. Thanks for being here today, Jason. Thanks for having me. How are you? I'm pretty good. Good. Yeah. You've been home for a little spell. I have been. And you're about to, to head out again. Yes. By the time this airs, you will have already gone there, but you're about to head back to my hometown. Your hometown. Basically. Yeah. I'm from Allentown, Pennsylvania, but you're, and you're going to Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, I am. but I went to high school in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. I know. And it is so dear to my heart. It's like the sweetest place. It's a lovely place. I feel like when you went last time, you were, the first time you went, you were really charmed by I it. I was taunting you with moving back. Yes, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You kept sending me photos, like, yeah. of fields. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like, Moravian cookies. Sugar bread. Sugar bread, sugar yeah. bread, yeah. Yeah. So that's on your agenda for this weekend? Oh, yeah, <laughs> totally. We used to have these things in high school. I'm sure I've told you this before, but it was such a sweet high school, you guys. There was a big old chapel, hundreds of years old chapel that we would go to, and we had these things called love feasts. Love feasts? They were called love All feasts, right. which sounds super hippie. Yeah, kind of. But it wasn't hippie. It was more like Quaker. I mean... So it was a Moravian school, which is very similar to Quakerism. Okay. So Quakers are really big on community and they're actually quite cerebral. Like yeah. the way that they approach religion is like very cerebral. So it was like appealed to me a lot as a kid. And so we would get everyone together and everyone would in the, like in the church, in the chapel and you would sing and then you would just have like cookies and juice. And that cookies was, and juice that was a love feast. Yeah, <laughs> That's so yeah. sweet. Totally. Anyway. I feel it sounds like I grew up on Little House on the Prairie or something, but there were lots of not sweet parts of being a high school student, obviously, in sure, Pennsylvania. Sure, 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 like sure. Sure. Sweet aspect. Sure. So then, what else is coming up for you, work wise? Well, after Bethlehem, I have a little bit more time here, and then I go back to London for Module Three. Oh, that's right. I am so <sighs> bummed, actually, because I don't want this group to finish. The mo- oh, I'm going to fail three? all of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just such a, it's really, it's a really pretty rare group of students. We actually have, I think, two or maybe three spots left in module three. So if any listeners want to join us in and probably by the time, yeah, by the time this airs, there'll be some public classes over the weekend of April 20, 20th and 21st open. And then I'll be back here for module two of core and spine in San Francisco, which I'm stoked on. So yeah. That's it. Are those there, are those are the big things coming up. Okay. Are there any spots left in no spots left in London, right? No, there are a couple spots left in London. That's okay. just two or three spots. I mean, as Might of right as well now. Do we're the recording. Promo for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then uh there's a handful of spots left for spine and core module in San Francisco. Okay. Yeah. If you so want So those are the to... big ones. Oh, and I I'm launching the Hong Kong training. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. And it's already, registration's already going really well. So anyone listening in Asia or that wants to spend two weeks in Asia, the info is up. So can I'm I, stoked can I, on that. Can I sign up for that? You can totally sign up for that. <laughs> what are we going to do with our daughter? Uh, she'll have to sign up too. <laughs> I'm not in a position to offer significant oh, discounts. Mm, that's a problem. We'll figure it I out. I don't think my sponsorships will pay for you that. Know, uh, no, your sponsorships <laughs> aren't going to pay for it. But you know what we'll do? I will get you some discounted housing. The YMCA there is amazing. <laughs> it actually is amazing, but I'm joking. Really? Totally. How do you know that? 
It's things you know when you travel a lot. Well, you went and stayed at the YMCA. I have not stayed at the YMCA, but the YMCA on Salisbury Road is sort of a a famous Oh, wow. Interesting. Yeah. Cool. All right. So if you want to find out more about the exact dates of those trainings that Jason mentioned, you can go to jasonyoga.com slash schedule, and you can check that out. Today, we are going to answer your questions. We got so many good questions last time that I made a whole fabulous flow chart because that's how I do. And today we're going to focus on handstand because there were just a whole bunch of questions that came in around handstand. So yeah. are you ready handstand for that? To bring it on. Okay. I've been having to deal with handstand since the advent of Instagram. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Understandable. Popular pose. Okay. So first question. And yes. I, I just, I want everyone to know who's listening that the questions that I have Jason answer typically on the show are questions that several people have asked. Yes. Yeah. yeah so yeah. you are not alone. If you think Never. you are the only person that has this question, you're Never. totally not. And, um, I don't know. I just, I just wanted to say that as like a way to acknowledge that we are all in this together and we're all actually so very similar. Totally. So the first question is any tips on what to strengthen to prepare for handstand? Another woman asked this, you know, in a different way, which is just like, can I get a deep dive on prep poses for handstand? Totally. Can you get the hook out and pull me back when it's time to pull me back? I'm going to freelance for a moment. Okay, sure. I want to tell the world that most people can not do handstand. Most people can't do handstand. The vast majority of people on the planet can't do handstand. The vast majority of yoga practitioners can't do handstand. And those that can do handstand, there's an even smaller percentage of them that can balance a handstand. But because we have a sort of genuinely skewed sense of the world, because we see it through the lens of media. Sure. We yeah. always do. And it's, yeah. I'm the same. We always do. Yeah. But we just tend to think things are different than the way that they actually are. So I just want people to know, I have trained and worked with tens of thousands of people over the years. Most of them can't do handstand. I didn't even know that. That's yeah, really interesting. Yeah, most people can't do handstand. Yeah. Now, most people could do handstand with the correct training. And there are tons of people that can do handstand at the wall. And they can do handstand with proper assistance. But the majority of people that practice yoga do not do handstand. I just want to, again, put that out there. And the people that can balance a handstand long enough to get the photo of it is really rare. You know, and, and again, what we have to see is like, it's not rare to find it if we're confirming an existing bias by looking in social media to find it. Sure. Because sure. there is a skewed percentage of distribution there, right? It's sort of like I'm always going to easily find an old dog if I go to the place with old dogs. I bring that up because I go to a place on Sundays that has old dogs <laughs> with, <laughs> called Muttville with my daughter because she's just she so stoked it. on it. Yeah, she just loves these dogs, and it's like a nursing home for dogs, and we go walk them. It's a trip. I think maybe she's an empath. What do you think? I think she's an extreme (laughs) empath, right? So, but the point is, like, if that's all I looked at, I'd be like, oh, my God, there are so many old dogs. Well, there are a lot of old dogs. I told you, you're going to have to get the hook out and pull me back. But you get the point on this? Yeah, I actually want to say something, which is just kind of confirming what you're saying. I mean, 
the reason that you do see people photographing their handstands so much is because it's so cool and rare to be able to do a handstand. Like when you think well, about it that way. I mean, I'm going to push back on the cool part, but I mean, it's, it's, well, it's I, novel. It's, it is, it's becoming less so, but, but yeah, but that's exactly right. That's exactly right. It's sort of like, I think that to me, and again, I'm not, I am not in any way bad. There are plenty of photos of me in social media in handstand. So I'm not, this isn't a us versus them thing. The, but the point that I want to make is that I don't want the yoga practitioners of the world to, that aren't able to do handstand feel like they are less than or separate than. And I don't want the people that can do handstand to feel like they are the great breed Nailed of it. people. <laughs> right? Because they can do handstand. Okay. You know what I mean? Yes. So we just right. need proper contextualization. Got it. Okay. Yes. So, so I'd say the main thing you have to strengthen with regards, uh, to doing handstand is your patient's muscle. Okay. So we're going to go through the actual anatomy of it, but I want to say that probably for most people that want to learn how to do handstand and, and balance in it, I think that if you want to learn handstand at the wall for most most long-time practitioners with the appropriate amount of help, mm -hmm. it's not that difficult to learn handstand at the wall. I think people need help for a phase of their practice. They need they need a spotter to help to them get, get that up. feeling yeah, of yeah. getting up to, to actually be helped up, mm -hmm. right? But if you're going to balance in the pose, I'm going to say it's probably at least a five to ten year project for most adults to learn how to do it. Right? That's the other thing to consider is that. Like there are a lot of people in the yoga world who have learned handstand as a yoga practitioner. Totally. I have. But there's also a lot of people in the yoga world that learned handstand prior to being part of the yoga world in the acrobatics or the gymnastics world, right? So those are, those are for a lot of people pre-existing skills that they're, that they're bringing to bear on the yoga mat. And they learn that often at a pretty young age. Right. Right. So like anything, like anything, especially anything physical and anything that requires sort of a physical coordination and skill set. And muscle memory. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's what I mean. Yeah. yeah. The, the, the younger you learn it, the easier it right. is. Right. It's like learning languages. Like you saw me, although it wasn't the prettiest thing, you saw me play hockey after 21 years of not playing hockey. It was beautiful. Are you kidding me? Let me just say something to the listeners out there. I crushed those 12-year-olds. It was adorable. Those 12-year-olds were hammered. I don't really know if that's true. Well, in most of them, I'm the one that left with the hip injury. I'm going to let it slide. You're going to let it slide. Let it but slide. if we had videotape of that, 20 years, I, my point is mm -hmm. 20 years. So because I did it at such a young age, right? So I haven't done any of that stuff in 20 years. And although it was all rusty, it all came back. Of course it came back. It came back as well as anyone that had been doing it consistently for a period of time, right? And so it's, it's really the same a lot in the yoga world is a lot of the people in the yoga world that can do that pose well, that's an existing skill that was trained in, a, in, an, in another discipline. So I'm bringing this up just so that we have proper context mm -hmm. and that we understand that if we want to learn this as a householder yoga practitioner that's practicing a few times a week, it's going to be a multi-year project, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it just is. Okay. Now, in terms of actual muscles, so often people go right to core, right? 
and sort of the, the everything somehow strength everywhere is often reduced to core. It's core strength, this and that. Core strength is a component of arm balancing and inversions, but it's really a secondary component. And the primary component for handstand is shoulder strength, shoulder strength, especially deltoids. There are many, many shoulder muscles that are operating on different levels. But when we're talking about shoulder motion and stability, and not motion so much, when we're talking largely about stability of the shoulder joint, we're talking about the muscles that comprise the rotator cuff. When we're talking about big load, and handstand is a big load pose. So you need the underlying strength of the rotator cuff muscles to keep the arm stable in the socket. But when it comes to the heavy lifting of handstand, it's heavy lifting because the whole weight of the body is on the, is on the arms. Right. You need strong deltoids. Yeah. You need strong shoulder muscles. Now, there are many other shoulder muscles, but those are the first that I'm going to look at in terms of raw strengthening. Then another thing that really requires a fair amount of, we'll call it strength, but I think even more than strength, which is understanding, is scapular motion and position. And one of the biggest mistakes, like it is, it I cannot believe the the degree to which the, um, uh, how frequently this error is made. But the arms, the shoulders do not pull down away from the ears when the arms go overhead, okay? Which isn't me saying you should shrug the shoulders, but it's me saying that when the arms go above 90 degrees, the scapula needs to laterally rotate. And part of that lateral rotation is upward motion. We have to understand not just the strength, but the complexity of the structural motion of the shoulder girdle and the scapula. So in handstand and down dog and all these arm overhead poses, you are not strongly pulling the shoulders down away from the ears. If you want to pull something down away from the ears, you can draw the medial border of the scapula down away from the ears. But the lateral border has to lift. Inner border versus outer border. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so that's a big thing. And it's really, really hard to understand. And I'll say I taught yoga for well over a decade before I understood this. And I thought I understood it. And I didn't understand it. And it was only when I was building anatomy programs and really working a lot of shoulder content with a physical therapist and a a shoulder surgeon where I started to realize like, oh, this thing that we've been saying is only 50% true. Yeah. So it's understanding how to allow those shoulder blades to move and to laterally rotate. So serratus anterior is a significant component of that motion. Deltoids are a significant component of the arm elevation motion. So, so those two that you mentioned, those two muscles are they help stabilize when the arms are overhead. The serratus anterior helps to rotate the scapula. I'm trying to say it in a way that's not overly technical that we if, if someone doesn't have the existing language. The serratus anterior helps rotate the scapula away from each other. We'll okay. put it that way. Okay. And bring the scapula forward on the rib cage, which it needs to go forward and up. So the, the scapula need to go forward and up. 
and the arms need, need to be able to reach really strongly overhead. Mm-hmm. Another thing to really think about is what is in, in the arms, sort of like what is the enemy it, with regards to the arms and it's elbows bending. You don't want the elbows to bend because when the elbows bend, then the upper arm and the lower arm aren't, they aren't supporting each other structurally. Not like a pillar. Exactly. So what straightens the elbow? Triceps. Okay. So strong triceps helps the elbow stay straight and minimize the bending. Strong deltoids helps allow the body to be on top of the shoulders and understanding of scapular position, especially that upward rotation. You can, and people can Google upward rotation of the scapula, or they can, or they can Google, um, uh, we'll just stick to that because okay. I'm drawing a, drawing a blank. Yeah. Glenohumeral rhythm. Right. Glenohumeral rhythm. Okay. And you start to see some of the videos of how the scapula actually moves when the arms go overhead because it is the scapula are not pulling down. They're elevating. They're, right. ro- they're rotating. So getting that is super, 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 super key. Those are key. Then secondarily, abdominal strength. And I wouldn't even just say core strength. I would say that the anterior abdominals are particular. It's particularly important that the anterior abdominals are strong in handstand, especially if you have a really mobile lower back. Yeah. Yeah. So people that have a lot of mobility in their lower back and need to minimize that mobility in that posture anterior abdominal strength. So what are some examples of anterior abdominal muscles? Well, they're actually all going to work. So the transversus abdominis is going to help the spine not sway excessively, and it's going to help the ribs and the pelvis stay aligned. It's also going to work with the internal and external obliques, and it's also that will also work a little bit with rectus abdominis. The rectus probably is a, is a, a of lower value in that pose. Probably a higher value pose in something like bakasana, where you're really trying to round your spine. Yeah, big ones. Okay, so I want to get to poses. I want to say one more okay. thing, which is if you want to balance, if you're working on balance, what do you have to strengthen? Your hands and forearms. Hands and forearms, big time. Grip strength is huge, which is one of the reasons that I find a lot of people who can learn handstand really quickly, who have a different background, are climbers. Hmm. I have found so many, it's so annoying. Climbers are so annoying because they're strong and and healthy and agile. Yeah. And they're always good looking. (laughs) They're terrible people. No, but they they have such grip strength and such understanding of how to use the upper extremities that they're often really quick to adopt to learning to to handstand. It's it's pretty amazing. That's very interesting. Yeah. So I want to get to the to actual poses that can reinforce what you were just saying. But first I want to ask you this, or I want to sort of comment. Another thing that's just interesting about kicking up, um, yeah. and I'm just wondering if you've probably thought about this because you've taught so many people, but you were talking about the sway back being, you know, or lordosis being a challenge to, Access. for stability. Right? Access. Yes. Yeah. Another challenge is having, I, I believe, having a female anatomy where your center of gravity is lower, your hips are wider, and you have bigger bottom. 
Sure. Right? Like when I kick up, the reason I'm afraid of going over is because to get the force sure. to kick up that lower heavy part of my body, I have to have something that's going to then stop it from going all the way over. Yes. And that is that deltoids? Would you say the stopping muscles? Big time. Okay. Yeah. And fingers and forearms. Mm -hmm. You need breaks, right? Yeah, if you think right. about it in terms of like just sort of simple propulsion, if you have, as you are saying, I will neither confirm nor deny anything that you have just said. <laughs> I think but having a larger I lower know, body is beautiful. Of course, likewise. Yeah. Okay, so, but the point is, if you have more mass that is, is lower and you have to lift it up higher, then you need more force to get there. Right. And if you use more force to get there, you need more strength to stop it once it gets there. Right. Right? And so that strength is largely going to come from deltoids, fingers, forearms. Okay. People will say a little bit core, but core is actually on the other side. Hmm. Core's on the abdominal core's on the front side. Right. That'll so pull that's you down. Side, so it is a valuable component, but the but shoulder strength and forearm and finger strength are to me the things that get overlooked. Okay. They get overlooked. Okay. that will reinforce strength in these areas, that will shore up these areas. I mean, obviously yoga is like so holistic, everything yeah, works, everything, yeah, that's but just things thing. that people can think about. So down dog's obvious, but one thing that's not obvious about down dog is what do we usually do with our fingers in down dog? Well, a lot of times people just kind of leave them flat. Or they do what? They spread them, uh -huh. right? But you don't want to do that. You want to do that in down dog, but you don't want to do that when you're in handstand. So you can in down dog. So it's okay. It's not about the poses. It's about what you are doing in those poses and for what reason, right? So when you're doing down dog in preparation for handstand, use your fingers really actively. So spread the fingers widely, but then grip down. I always talk about in down dog, giving your yoga mat mixed signals, Okay, so from the shoulder blades through the arms, through the base of the fingers, you're going to push the mat away as much as you can. You're going to say, Matt, get out of my life. But then with your fingers, you're going to grab the mat and say, oh, but Matt, please don't go. So the upper body from the shoulders through the hand needs to reach. The fingers need to, need to grip. They need to clench. They need to hold on, which again is... I'm convinced is one of the reasons that so many climbers are such quick adapters. There's many features to it, but climbers have incredible grip strength. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that grip strength provides not only a, a rebalancing source, but that grip strength provides the that major resource to slow down the weight like you were just describing. When you swing up, you have to slow it down, right? And if everyone thinks like, 
Remember, the most effective thing to work with always is the thing that is in contact with the ground. Because the ground provides you with resistance. And when you have resistance, you can use things better. And so in down dog, get that reach through the arms. But instead of just reaching your fingers and spreading, 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 grip the mat down. Use that strength. So that's one thing. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Another thing is dolphin pose. You know, dolphin pose is so good at strengthening deltoids. So a lot of times in classes and my trainings, I'll do I'll warm up with like down dog to plank a bunch of times back and forth. But you can sort of do the same thing with dolphin. You can do dolphin pose to forearm plank to dolphin pose to forearm plank. You're going to have to move your feet forward and back. You'll need to sort of change the base so that the pose fits. But those are really, really simple, nice ways to do it. So dolphin to forearm planks, a really good way to strengthen shoulders and a really good way to strengthen core. That forearm plank is really good. I think this is pretty obvious, but half handstand at the wall. You know, half handstand at the wall or with the feet on a ledge is really, really good. And then having a helper, you know, we need a helper to help us with this stuff. One of my favorite things that you do is the handstand on your back. Yeah, handstand on your back. So what do they call this in the gymnastic world? Like hollow hollow body, body, something like that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's handstand on your back. I think we have that on the site somewhere. I'll, I'll find a link to that so people can see what we're talking about. Okay. Yeah. 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 I would say that those those are really, really key things. I think the other thing that is less obvious, but your standing poses. Like the thing about handstand and, you know, we sort of, I said, look, here's the things you have to strengthen. Your patience, your fingers, your forearms, your shoulders, and have an understanding of how the scapula work. But here's another big thing. Every pose includes the whole body. So whole body awareness is key in understanding how the whole body functions together. And to me in yoga, there's no better opportunity to understand how the whole body works together than standing poses. So I'm sort of going to know from someone's warrior one, warrior two, triangle pose, tadasana, down dog, whether or not that person has the postural awareness to do handstand well. It's not just, you know, I sort of say this in, in as often as I can, it's we have to remember that strength and flexibility are attributes, but they're not the underlying skills that are involved in the asana practice. So the underlying skill is always whole body awareness, right? And so all of the standing poses teach us how to work with our body in its entirety. Because if you have a hard time working with your body in its entirety when it's right side up, it's going to get really confusing upside down. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 I think those are the big ones. Okay. Yeah. The other question that we got, you know, several times asked in different ways is just how do I get over my fear and build up, you know, confidence muscles for getting into handstand? Get your hockey helmet. Okay. Fear. Okay. First thing, your fear of going upside down is probably not irrational and you shouldn't feel bad about it. You know, like you and I have sort of thought about this in, in the context of our daughter of watching at various intervals, her being sort of 
fearless and then other intervals, having a lot of fear of doing something, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. And so I would just say that having a little bit of reticence or a little concern or a little fear is pretty healthy. Mm -hmm. Like it's a normal thing. And so if you're afraid of doing something that is unfamiliar and difficult and scary, you're not a bad person. I think the other thing about this is, well, let's take it further. Let's not just say fear. What what are we actually afraid of? Let's not just say we're fearful. We are afraid of something. We're afraid of something really specific. We're afraid of landing on our head. Right. Right? Yes. Okay, so we don't, we're not f- afraid of handstand. <laughs> we're afraid of taking a header, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Or we're in, afraid of the, the perceived social embarrassment totally. of not being able to do the cool thing on recess. Yeah. Totally. Or just like making a huge, loud, crashing noise in totally. the middle. <laughs> totally. And so those are, not, those are not irrational things. Like the fear of head trauma is not irrational. Yeah. The fear of being a social outcast <laughs> <Right>. is not <laughs> unfounded. Right. Okay. Actually, in this situation, it's totally unfounded. But it's not irrational. Like those are normal fears. Right. Okay. So I say that because I think that a lot of times we feel really guilty about our fears and we, I think we need to respect our fears, own them, acknowledge them, dissect them, and then work with them. So if I think to myself, okay, I'm afraid of falling on my head, then really all I have to do is figure out, well, there's only two ways that I can fall on my head in a handstand. I'll t- I will tell everyone listening, unless you are amazingly creative and you have all sorts of like crazy ways to injure yourself, there's really only two ways that you can Do fall. Tell. Number one, when your shoulders go past your wrists and hyperextend your wrist, you will have a reflex where an elbow bends and you will go straight down or you will roll over. So, so number one reason, the shoulders have gone too far. Why do the shoulders go too far? Because the deltoids, the forearms, and the fingers didn't stop the train. They didn't stop the train. The brakes weren't enough. Exactly like you were saying earlier, you used too much momentum to get up, and the shoulders shot past the target. And when they shot past the target, the, the wrist got stressed, and it had a reflex that the, the elbow bent. That's number one. Number two... The elbows just bend. Right. The elbows bend and boom, down you go. Yeah. So if you don't bring the shoulders too far over the wrists, and if you do keep your elbows straight, you're not going to take a header. You might flail. You might look terrible. You might you might fall a thousand times, but you're going to end up on your feet. The only situation where you're going to take a header is when you the shoulders go too far and or the elbows bend. Mm-hmm. That, that's it. That's it. Those are the only situations, right? And so if we can understand how to minimize those situations, then we have something to work with. So keep your elbows straight. Use your fingers and strongly engage your deltoids. Along with that, have a spotter. And if you don't have a spotter, have a wall. And then I, don't, I actually don't mean to be cheeky about it, but if you're still afraid... Do it outside. Do it in the grass. 
do it on a tree with grass underneath you or put up a, a bunch of a couple of yoga blankets underneath underneath you between uh, the wall and between your hands. Or I can think of a student, actually a bunch of students over the years that have put a, a bolster upright between themselves and the wall so that if they they felt now that that was actually slightly irrational but it was helpful yeah like it just for them actually it wasn't irrational yeah yeah, yeah. So well, it wasn't irrational there's like a cushion there yeah yeah yeah, yeah yeah so so don't be afraid and that's one of the beautiful things about home practices like that's a place that should be a laboratory you know practicing at home should be a place where where we're re- we feel really safe to I don't want to be cavalier, but we where we are safe to go into some of the fears, safe to go into a little bit of the unknown, mm-hmm. you know, safe to drill. You know, that's that's sort of the other thing when it comes to practice and repetition is just you probably have to like to balance on handstand. You're probably going to have to drill handstand over ten thousand times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, it's not it's not an exaggeration. I really don't see that as an exaggeration. So this is a place that you're just going to have to drill it. Yeah, you know. I want to just add two quick things. The first is that if you are even at a wall, if you're afraid of getting your shoulders over your wrists, if that feeling just feels like too much, if you kick up with one leg bent, you know, if you kick up and you bend your, if you, let's say you're kicking up with your right leg, kick up with your right leg. So the right leg is the leg that is swinging up or the right leg is the one that is pushing off the ground. The right leg is swinging straight. And the left foot is the ground floor. The it's ground the pusher. foot. It's the jumper. If you swing the right leg up, keep the right leg straight, but you just tuck the left knee in and keep it bent, you're not going to go over, but you're going to start feeling the feeling of kicking yeah. and hopping and yeah. getting up. Yeah. That's one thing. And the second thing is, and this is, you know, really obvious, but I just think it's important to remind people that headstand, handstand, Pinch and Mayurasana are not the only inversions. Yeah, I'm so glad this is sort of what I want to say too. So yeah, and you know, so just remember that you can put your legs up the wall in Viparita Karani. You can do shoulder stand. You can do many variations of shoulder stand that don't stress your neck so that you're getting the benefits of inverting. And actually, quite frankly, some of the benefits that those other more active inversions don't offer, you know, without having to do something that feels anxiety provoking. Totally. Right. And this is like, this is its own separate subject, you know, but we can, I think we can touch into it because you've, you've gone there and I, and I want to, which is not everyone has to be able to do handstand. You know what I mean? It's like, I think what we have to sort out is a couple things, right? I don't, I'm going to be a bit of an outcast. I don't think that we always have to confront our fears. I think that we have to confront our fears when they are keeping us away from doing something that we genuinely want to do or something that is genuinely interrupting our life or our lifestyle, right? For me, one of the fears that I have is turbulence. I've dealt with turbulence fear my whole life. So anytime I have a pilot who's a friend or a student, I there's probably one listening right now, I ask them about turbulence. I read about turbulence all the time. Because I can't let my fear of turbulence get in the way of the reality of my life. So that is an actual fear that I need to work with. We'll give another thing, which is like, 
I am afraid at the thought of bungee jumping. But you know what? I don't actually want to bungee jump. For me, it's hallucinogenic drugs. Right? Like, I don't care about <laughs> it's them. It's like, I don't need to do that. Like, I have no interest. Yeah. If I was like, if I had a burning desire to do bungee jumping, then I would need to get through that fear. Right. If I just couldn't live without bungee jumping or my life depended on being a bungee jumper, then I'd think to myself, man, I got to work with this. But you know what? I don't give a bleep about bungee jumping. Like I'm, I don't care. I have 0.00% of me is interested in that. So that is not a fear in my life that I feel like needs to be addressed. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think that taking that to the handstand world is if you really want to do handstand, and there are many reasons to do handstand, work on it. Work on it, work on it, work on it, work on it. And acknowledge your fears to your teacher or your support and, and have them help you, right, in addition to the advice that we gave. But if you're listening and you're thinking, I'm afraid I handstand, blah, 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 but you know what? I come to yoga and yoga is my sanctuary. It's my relief. And I love 90% of it. And this handstand thing is like, you know, everyone's doing it and I feel like I should be able to do it, but I'm a little scared of it. And to be honest with you, I don't care about it. Then I'd say, then don't worry about it. You know what I mean? Like it, handstand doesn't give you something that many other things don't also give you. Right. That's kind of what I It doesn't give you. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not, it's not a holy grail pose. It's just another, it's one of countless shapes. It just has a really high degree of perceived equity because of contemporary media. That's it. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I like it. I teach it. I, I really do like handstand and I love teaching handstand. But if someone said, you know what, I'm a bit afraid of this and I have really genuinely no interest in it, I'd say, okay, do a long down dog followed by a long wide-legged standing forward fold, followed by a long standing forward fold, followed by head support child's pose. And I guarantee you that that is going to give you the same benefits, if not more. Great. Yeah. Okay. You got it. All right. Thanks, Jason. Anytime. Okay, everyone, I hope that was helpful. We do have a pose notebook breakdown of handstand and we have a sequence for the peak poses handstand up on the blog. So I will put links to those on our show notes page, which you can find at yogalandpodcast.com slash episode 96. And if you are learning from the podcast, enjoying the podcast, I so appreciate the effort it takes to give us a five-star iTunes rating and review. And if you're not sure how to do that, you can go to jasonyoga.com slash reviews and it will walk you through the process. Thanks so much for listening and until next week, enjoy your practice. Sigue la consigue De pronto a tu casa yo me vine Sin siquiera 